I'm Leanne Spencer, founder of Body Shop Performance Limited, author, TEDx speaker, and your host. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, the show where I interview influential people in the health and fitness industry to bring you the latest ideas on how to optimize your mind, body, and well-being. This is the Remove the Guesswork podcast, and I'm your host, Leanne Spencer. My guest this week is Maria Marklove. Now, you may or may not have heard of Maria, but she got in touch with me because she watched my TEDx talk, Why Fitness is More Important Than Weight, and felt that we had something in common, which is that we both used physical exercise to profoundly change how we feel about ourselves and to overcome adversity. So in my case, that was alcoholism, which I was treated for in 2012. And for Maria, it was really a difficult and challenging childhood, which culminated at age 23, her sitting there and figuring out how she could kill herself because she just felt that she'd come to the end of the road. Now, there was a glimmer, tiny, tiny glimmer of hope there for her, and obviously she's still here now. And in fact, she now has about a decade of strength and nutrition training under her belt. She works as a one-to-one consultant and mentor to help high performers stop binge eating for good. And she helps people develop the mental resilience they need to crush their goals and to thrive. So she's really achieved an incredible amount from a child who was brought up by an alcoholic mother and in many ways neglected and you hear a bit of that story in this podcast and I get the impression there's moments where it's very hard for Maria to talk about this but she's quite open and candid and sharing just just really a very short summary of her story and talks about what's helped her and what could help you as well and what she does now to stay strong physically and mentally to stay resilient and to be happy. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. And Maria's website is no control Z, and that's www.nonoctrlz.co.uk. We'll link to that in the show notes, so don't worry about writing it down right now. But that's her website, and she has an online program that helps people to stop binge eating for good. So if that's something that's a concern for you or anyone you know, I suggest checking it out. That's it from me. Enjoy this episode. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you, Leanne. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Cool, cool. So I've done, obviously, my research into your backstory, and it's a fascinating one. If you don't mind me saying, sort of riddled with challenges, and it'd be really interesting to find out how you've overcome those, how you've harnessed some of that experience into what you do now. And I thought the theme of what we could talk about would be something along the lines of mental resilience and mental strength but also in the face of adversity you know how can you harness all these different strengths and attributes that we've got because I think as human beings you know we're very tough we can endure to quite extraordinary lengths and just let's explore some of the things that you do to ensure that you're still resilient and strong and we'll take it from there so start wherever you like with your story Hmm. okay thank you well, I guess I'll start by saying that I like to think that when you're born, you get given a garden. And for the first few years of life, other people look after that garden. They, they do their best to plant the seeds that you know, they think are the best to grow your garden in the way they know from their own garden. And your environment also affects this garden. Like There might be pollutants in the air, maybe. People keep walking in and trampling on your flowers. <laughs> so... For me, this is kind of what my garden looked like when I was younger. So when I was about eight years old, I remember I was watching my mum as she was putting her keys in her bag ready to go out and she would go out all the time. She was an alcoholic. And I remember sitting on the steps and just asking her, mum, why do you always go out? And she just turned and looked at me and said, it's because of you. And she slammed the door in my face And I felt very, very alone at that point. And it started to make me believe that 
pretty much every problem, even in the world, was my fault, which is something that I think kids just sort of exaggerate, you know, mm. those feelings. I also remember that one time I complained that I had a headache and she was in the kitchen and she poured some salt into a glass of water and told me to drink it. And I said, you know, I'm not sure that's a good thing to be drinking. And she said, you know, just drink it, make sure you drink that. So I tried to swallow it and I was spluttering and gagging. And then she just laughed in my face and said, at least you won't complain about that headache anymore. Mm. So there was a few events that definitely affected my life growing up. And years later, I got into an abusive relationship with a man and I ended up becoming anorexic. And I got to a very, very low point during Christmas one year and I was back at my mum's house and I just thought long and hard about the best way to kill myself. And I was really ready to just, you know, I told myself at that point, I'll give it one last chance. I'm going to either figure out how to get rid of all this continuous, basically depression, eating disorder, all of the horrible relationships in my life, or I'm going to kill myself. To me, it was just that simple, that decision. And how old were you around this time? I was 23, I would say. 23. Right. And I realised, you know, at some point you have to start tending to your own garden. You've got to take out those weeds, you've got to dig out those dead bodies. Because if you want to change your happiness and your self-belief and your confidence and therefore your life, you have to change your mindset. You've got to direct your focus towards things that are helpful. You have to realise that your thoughts that you're constantly thinking about are necessarily the truth. They're more like opinions beliefs, habitual responses. Because if you ask yourself bad questions, like, why can't I do this? Your brain will automatically say it's because you're an idiot. Mm. <laughs> but if you ask yourself, what can I learn from this? Then your mind will focus on those creative solutions to your problem. Yeah. And in this, I guess it was an epiphany that you'd had in a way, but certainly you'd come to the end of the road as you were willing to tolerate it. Was there anything around you that you were able to draw on for support or inspiration? And what kind of got you to that point? You mean to take that, those initial first steps? Yeah. yeah, to decide you'd had enough. I feel like I was just at my lowest, lowest point. I think sometimes, I kind of feel like change sometimes comes from pain. Mm. The pain was too much for me to not change. It was unacceptable to live my life like that anymore. Yeah. So I had to change. Does that make sense? Yeah. I say that I lost hope because I'd lost all hope is what I would have said, but there must still be hope somewhere because I'd got to that point, but I realized I still had the energy to put in to turn my life around. You know, so people get to this really dark point and they say I was completely hopeless and I've lost all hope. But the fact that they are still here with us, to me, signifies that there is always some hope still left. Yeah. And just give us a bit more context about your family situation growing up. Were you an only child? Was it just you and your mum? No, I have two older brothers and my dad, who was separated from my mum. I genuinely feel like my two brothers raised me. I felt very confused about what my mum was doing. I seem to remember she was just sleeping a lot or not there. Mm. So I feel like my brothers raised me. Right. Has your mum since then overcome her alcohol addiction? I'm not 100% sure on the answer to that question. The relationship with my mum is quite difficult Mm. and she has quite a lot of medical problems now. 
I would not be surprised if she uses alcohol to deal with those still. It's definitely less than it was when I was a child. But something I had to come to terms with over the years was that you can't change other people, you know. Change has to come from within. Mm. Just like people would have told me various things, I'm sure, when I was going through that phase, you know. I wasn't able to listen or take action until I was ready to do that. You know, change has to come from inside you. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you get to 23 and you realise that a change is needed and you come to a crossroads and I guess one path was unacceptable to you and you were going to follow the other one. What did you do next? I mean, how were you feeling at that time? Was there a sense of optimism, a glimmer of hope for the future or was it a real struggle to try and make positive change for yourself? I don't feel like there was a glimmer of hope, but again, it comes back to that. There must have Mm. been something to have made me act, you know, some sort of hope where you see that other people exist in the world that are not going through these problems, that are not unhappy all of the time. So in that way, it's like problems can be solved and maybe I just don't know the answers yet. Mm. I like to think that humans are very innovative and creative and, you know, we can put people on the moon. That's a very, very complex problem. If we can find ways of innovating so that we can create such amazing engineering feats, you know, I feel like there's so many problems in the world that a lot of people have gone through. And when you're in that pit by yourself alone, you feel like you are the only one who's going through those problems. Absolutely, you're not the only one at all. You're not alone. Mm. And so many people have not only experienced it, but they've overcome it. Yeah. So I think just the fact that I could see other people weren't all depressed, that gave me a sense of this must be possible. This must be possible. Yeah. And the first steps I took to doing that were, I guess I was a PhD student at the time, so I was attached to a university. So I sought out counselling from the university. But I also hit the library pretty hard because that's one of my (laughs) go-tos is always read lots of books, just research. Mm. So I remember I was in Waterstones and one of the shop assistants just mentioned a book name to me, said it was Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn. And John Kabat-Zinn is a mindfulness teacher. He invented the mindfulness-based stress reduction method, Mm -hmm. which I'm not sure if you're aware, but people with chronic physical pain go on these mindfulness-based stress reduction courses and the physical sensations are very, very reduced. And I thought if people in chronic physical pain can basically get better and be symptomless, then surely there must be something in this for me, for my mental anxiety. Yeah. So I read the whole book. I just like devoured that book and that very much changed my trajectory in life, I would say. I started to learn more about meditation and I joined the the university's meditation club. I then got a referral from my doctor to join the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy course that was starting at the university I went to. And again, eight weeks of mindfulness with relation to my thoughts. I found that definitely very useful. And what did you get from that? Because I talk about meditation a lot. Mm -hmm. What exactly did you get from it? I got, you know, what I mentioned earlier was unnecessarily the truth. And they're more like opinions or just habitual responses that you've had over many years. Like thoughts are, they're kind of like clouds in the sky and you can just be aware of the clouds. You don't have to be inside the cloud. You know, you can watch 
the clouds as they go by and you can label the clouds. Like this one looks like a dog (laughs) or this one looks like sadness or this one looks like hope. And you can ask if these thoughts, these clouds, if they're actually useful. And if they're not useful, you can decide to let it go. And no matter how many times it comes up, you can decide to let it go again. And eventually your brain actually rewires and you're not connected to those thoughts anymore. Hmm. You're not paying them as much attention, so they're not as strong and they will eventually die down and not be so loud. So I found that I could start to choose the thoughts I pay attention to. I mean, even now, thoughts still come up you know, for everybody. I think we have like 80,000 thoughts a day, 80% of which are negative. So if we're attaching very strongly to those negative thoughts, we're going to have a very different life and outlook than if we see them for what they are, which is often just noise. Yeah. So it really helped to quieten your mind and control particularly negative thoughts, but disruptive thoughts and intrusive thoughts that were running through your head. Yeah. I mean, from a physiological perspective, did it help to lower your blood pressure, lower your resting heart rate? Did it help you to feel more calm and composed? Without having done the actual readings on my heart rate, that kind of thing at the time, I wouldn't say for definite if my, you know, if my blood pressure lowered or anything like that, but Hmm. I would say I definitely felt more calm and composed and able to go on with my day. And also it started to make me more confident, I would say, because you can prepare yourself for upcoming events rather than sort of just living on automatic pilot going from one place to the next. If you're able to just take a couple of breaths and feel how your body feels, you might notice if you're you know, slumped over, which is quite often the, if you think of someone who's depressed, their posture is sort of slumped down. Hmm. And mindfulness and meditation made me aware of my posture. So I was like, oh, okay, my posture's a bit slumped. I can stand up straighter and I can make myself a bit bigger and I can feel more confident. I can choose how to feel right now yeah, by moving my body in response to how I'm noticing. Yeah, cool. So what was it you did next? You kind of joined the meditation club. You were practicing mindfulness. This was obviously helping you change your mental state, but also your physiology. What was next? A big part of my story was physical training, I would say. Actually, I wanted to just mention that one really big, powerful event for me was I was walking up the hill on the way to university at one point, and I started to realize the day was going okay so far. And I did a body scan where you just notice how your body's feeling and I realized I was just really warm because I was walking up the hill and I was wearing a big coat and to me that was just like a completely transformational moment where I just thought wow you know if I can't even recognize I'm just too hot if those feelings of being too warm are creating all these negative thoughts inside my head like that just shows how disconnected I am from my body yeah good point yeah so I really wanted to be more connected back to myself and come back into my body. So I think physical training was a big part of of getting through all of this for me because (laughs) when I was in that lowest point, I was anorexic. I was very, very weak, I would say, physically. And I decided to go to the gym and I met these powerlifting guys at the gym. And so I was probably like 40 kilograms or something at that point. And these guys were like 100 plus kilos each just doing lots of weights and their strength really, really inspired me. 
Mm. Because, you know, they said basically anyone can sort of get roughly fit within a month, but to be really, really strong, it's going to take 10 plus years of just dedication. And I really admired their philosophy on that at the time. And I wanted to be strong. So I started training with these guys and just doing powerlifting and getting stronger and stronger. So I think that helped my confidence as well. And I just made that the most important part for me. Hmm. Because no matter what had happened during the day, I would make sure I would train. I think I was training only three times a week at that time, but I would make sure that I would not miss a session. Yeah. And was that helping and inspiring you to eat better and to transform your attitude towards food? Yes, exactly. Because I could see that there was a direct relationship between what I was eating and my performance in the gym. So Mm. I shifted my mindset from purely, you know, how much I weigh is my self-worth. And I shifted it to performance. It was how much I lift. And I think I probably shifted it too far because in the end, it was kind of related to my self-worth. I think I sort of went on the other way. And since then, I've dialed all of that back. But just that mindset shift from how much I weigh to what I'm performing in the gym Hmm. was huge for me. It took a lot of pressure off, off myself from starving myself, basically. Yeah. Was it a difficult transition to make? Did you struggle with the idea of bringing in more? Of course, when you're laying down muscle, as you and I will will well know, Mm. it's all about what you eat to a large extent Mm. to support the muscle adaptation. Did you find it difficult to start bringing more foods in or or did you find that actually your focus has shifted to, I want to build muscle, I understand that food's an important part of that. And And the other question is, did you feel better for starting to bring more foods and healthier foods into your diet? The answer to that is a little complicated because I had been binge eating in response to anorexia, basically, because I was starving myself so much, I started to binge eat. So I was taking in more food, not necessarily the best food for performance. Hmm. But a training like that helped me get a hold on the binge eating as well, because I could see it was in relation to my performance. And I think, you know, on the days that I didn't binge eat I would feel strong I would feel much better than I did when I was anorexic Hmm. so I definitely felt very different it was a completely different body I felt like and I think that can be very hard for a lot of people who go through anorexia you know it's like your body becomes very different as you grow more muscle as you just get bigger and people are so used to being very very tiny that they find that hard but For me, it was just at the absolute end of my tether. You know, I was like, I will literally kill myself if I don't figure out this way. So I just put all of my trust into what I was discovering and these people that were inspiring me. So I was just like, okay, I feel really different, but I do feel much more muscular. I feel strong. And I just threw away my scales. I would never weigh myself. I was like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep going and just get stronger. Mm. It's hard to describe, isn't it? The feeling of being strong. Are you able to articulate it? I always struggle. There's a real sense of increased confidence, isn't it? It's improved self-esteem. You feel like you can take on more challenges. You feel more resilient, better able to endure some of life's challenges. I mean, let's start to talk about that. How much has being physically strong helped you feel mentally strong? And what difference has that made to your life? Oh, man, you're so right. They go hand in hand. I have completely changed. I've transformed from where I was to now. And 
so much of that is from the physical training, I think, because I find when I feel strong in my body, I feel strong in my mind. Hmm. I feel like I can walk into a room, got a good posture, you know, I'm there, I'm confident. I've got mindfulness now so I can feel how my body's feeling and I can just walk in and I know I'm going to make an impression. I'm not going to be the one hiding in the corner anymore, Hmm. you know. It definitely gives you a big sense of confidence and self-esteem. And I think that the biggest thing is that when you you surprise yourself in physical training, you do stuff that you just didn't think you would be able to do at all. You know, whether you're squatting, whether you're doing handstands, whether you're doing muscle ups, by continually training, you surprise yourself. Like I never thought I could do a muscle up on the rings or I never thought I could do a 110 kilo deadlift. And by having that confidence in your physical ability, I really think that comes across in your personality when you then meet new people, when you socialize. I think it's very much related to physical and mental strength. Yeah, undoubtedly. And what are some of the other things that you do to stay strong or resilient? We've talked quite a bit about physical training. Mm. We've talked about mindfulness and meditation. What other things, go-tos, as you described them earlier, Mm. do you have that you lean on or make a non-negotiable part of your lifestyle? I always try and stay on top of my self-talk. That's really important. Whether that be writing things down, I find writing very, very useful. Mm. So you might just write down your thoughts and then see if they make any sense. You know, like I used to think, for example, everyone in the world hates me, something like that. If you write that down, you can actually question it. You know, is that really true? Could Mm. that possibly be true? There's, you know, 7 billion people on the planet. How could that possibly be true? A lot of them haven't met me. So I find that journaling is very useful and just staying on top of self-talk on the fly. Like if I notice I've got a negative thought that I'm attaching to, I'm like, is that actually true? Is there something else I could believe that would help me right now in this situation? Hmm. Because at the end of the day, it's, again, they're not the truth. You can just choose to believe or choose to think something else is going to help you in that situation. Yeah, which we do anyway. We all have confirmation bias and cognitive dissonance. You know, yeah, we, exactly. we very often tell ourselves something that's not true. Absolutely. And go with it. So why can't we flip that and use it for a positive? Absolutely. I do quite a lot of public speaking now. So if I walk into the room thinking, oh, I'm going to be terrible. It's, I'm so unconfident right now. I'm scared. You know, physiologically, that feeling of nervousness is actually the same as excitement. Mm. So I can just choose to believe, you know what? I'm excited to give this talk. I'm so excited to share this time with all of these people. So tell us what you're doing now. So right now I help people with binge eating. So I have a company called No Control Z. Mm -hmm. And I do courses and one-on-one coaching for people who are experiencing binge eating and want to move on with their lives, basically. Yeah. And is it an online program? Is it face-to-face or is it both? It's both. It's largely online because a lot of my clients are all around the world. Mm -hmm. But for sure, it can be face-to-face as well. Yeah. Okay. And that website is www.noctrlz.co.uk, isn't it? That's it. Yeah. So noctrlz.co.uk. And we'll link to that in the show notes. So you do online coaching and on occasion face-to-face coaching for people with binge eating. That's right. You mentioned public speaking. What kind of talks do you do? Where do you speak? So I actually do Toastmasters. I don't know if you've heard of Toastmasters, but... Yeah, I have. Yeah, so... 
that's just something I do for fun because I really enjoy it. So at the moment, just going through the Toastmasters course book, that kind of thing. So the topics are just on anything I like. So hmm. it's just good fun. I really recommend if you want to improve your public speaking, that's the place to go for sure. Yeah, I've heard good things about that. Yeah. And what about content? Do you author a lot of content? Have you written a book? Do you blog? You know, if somebody wants to find out more about what it is that you do and the value you bring to clients, they go to your website, but where else could they go? Mostly it would be on my website, yes. I have had some guest posts and other websites. I do a lot of blogs and I have an ultimate guide to stop binge eating for good, which is a 65-page hand-illustrated guide that I made. People find it incredibly valuable. So if you are binge eating, I do recommend checking that out. Yeah, I saw that on your website. And you and I have one thing in common, at least, and that's that we both contribute to Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global platform. Yeah. I believe you're on there as well, yeah. I am, yeah, that's right. Yeah, very cool. Okay, what are some of the things that you do to take yourself into your discomfort zone? Are you a believer in that for building up personal sustainability or resilience is another way of putting it? I mean, obviously, when it's an appropriate time to do that, but is that something you enjoy doing, just sort of stretching? It sounds like Toastmasters might be a bit of that. Absolutely. A hundred percent believe in this. I'm definitely of the growth mindset. I don't know if you've seen that picture of on the internet, but there's a circle and it says your comfort zone and then a much bigger circle saying where the magic happens. Yes, I have. Yeah. I love that because it's so true. Like your comfort zone is so small mm. and everything else is outside of that. If you want to grow, if you want to make progress in your life, you've got to push outside your comfort zone. But I think you have to take baby steps towards that. You can't just fake it till you make it. I think you do it until you make it. Yeah. So you, you have to break it down so small so that you can start making those baby steps towards where you want to go. But each one of those baby steps is a little bit outside of your comfort zone. Hmm. So I love that you just take a little step outside and then eventually you build up. And in my own experience, I've done things I just never believed I would do. Hmm. I thought I was going to kill myself, basically. And now I have so many great things in my life that I'm very, very thankful for. Yeah. Well, I just want to applaud you as well. Obviously, you've come through a horrendously difficult time from childhood onwards. And that kind of stuff is very difficult to change, isn't it? Those, you know, the early, early stages Mm. of life and the things that happen to us. But you've turned that round. You've obviously got a great personal practice that keeps you well, keeps you resilient and strong. I love the fact that you physical training is a very big part of that because I would agree. I think physical training is a huge, you know, it's just one component, but it's a big component. What are your plans and aspirations for the future? So I'd like to continue growing my business. And I've also teamed up with a guy recently. He's in the US Air Force and we're going to help teach people leadership skills. He's an amazing, charismatic speaker. I want to try and help him as well grow that business. So couple of businesses on the fly but also just want to improve and grow my like relationships you know deepen the relationships I have with people in my life Mm -hmm. meet new people I think relationships are so often overlooked when we think about goals we want to achieve but yeah actually relationships are the one of the most important parts of your life and I think it's very important to invest time into those relationships yeah And one of my philosophies for this year has been getting more out of doing less. And you can definitely apply that to relationships. You know, don't be so tempted to overschedule and just focus and go deeper into the people you have around you and the things that you have around you. So absolutely agree with that. Maria, thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Leanne. Interested in finding out what your health IQ is? 
jump on our website, bodyshopperformance.com and click on take the test. And it'll take you through to a very short two to three minute health IQ test. At the end of that, you'll get a scorecard based on your results and a free 39 page report built all around our six signals, which are sleep, mental health, energy, body composition, digestion, and fitness. So jump on the website, bodyshopperformance.com and take our test. Finally, thanks for listening to this show. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard and it's added value to you, share the episode with someone who you think could benefit from it. And don't forget to leave a rating, a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening.